don't know me anymore I just walk through her door She's lying there alone Just like before She's lost inside her mind No more sense of time All the lights are on but nobody's home And I'm standing with my heart In my hands No, I don't No, I just don't understand And my eyes fill my tears With wise With wise the stillness of the air No one seems to care The world keeps passing by And no one hears our cries She's lost and all alone In a world of her own And I'm standing with my heart In my hand just don't understand And my eyes fill my tears With wise, with wise And I don't know what to do And I don't know what to say So I pray and I pray, Lord, take her home She don't know me anymore I'm walking out her door She's lying there alone Just like before She's lost inside her mind No more sense of time All the lights are on My mother, and Scott will tell you this, is one of the sweetest people I've ever known in my life. And she had a chocolate pie ministry. <laughs> and if you had a problem, and Mama found out about it, she would bring you a chocolate pie. Yes, I am. Thank you. And uh, she carried chocolate pies to everybody. Of course, Scott made her make two. And, uh, but she was the sweetest Christian lady. And I mean, just as fine as they come. Never heard mama say anything bad about anybody. But I want to tell you something. She got that disease. It changed her personality altogether. We watched my sweet little mama become a totally different person. And for the last three years, I'd go down. She was in the nursing home at Defuniac Springs, Florida. My sister, Judy, was taking care of mama. And when I'd go to Funiac Springs, Florida to, to see Mama, and she never would even know I was there. But the last words my mother ever said to me were these, Honey, I love you. That's the last words my mama ever said to me. And you know what? That was good enough, you know? Do you realize that that's what Jesus said to us? He said, honey, I love you. I love you so much that I lay down my life for you, and he did. He, says to his, he said to his disciples, 
Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And he said, and you are my friends. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God. Don't you ever doubt whether or not God loves you. If you ever have times in your life, and sometimes we do have times in our lives that we feel like, well, where, you know, Lord, where are you? I feel so old, all alone. I've had those moments. You've had those moments. You had those moments saying, you know, God, what's really going on here? But in those moments that you feel like that maybe God doesn't love you, just do this. Just look at the cross. Just look at the cross. That's all you got to do. And that answers the question whether or not God loves us. God loved us so much, there's a cross. But there's also an empty tomb. There's a cross, there's a burial, there's a resurrection. There's life in Jesus. When John wrote to these Christians that we've been talking to, they were being harassed. They were being confused by false teachers who had come into the church. And these false teachers were filled with pride They thought that they were the ones who had it and everybody else didn't. They claimed to have received a special revelation from God. And as a result of that, they were spiritual giants. They were instantaneously spiritually mature. And in their spiritual superiority, they began to look down on those who were not like them. And so the church divided itself along those lines with those who were the elite Christians as opposed to those who were the normal Christians. Now, we need to understand this, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but in any church at any given time, there are different levels of spiritual maturity found within the body of Christ. For instance, John says in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, when I was studying this and I was looking at this, I I had a little problem. I said, who are these people? Who are the older men? Who are the younger men? Who are, are the strong, strong children? Who, who are, what, what is he talking about here? And then as I begin to think about it and look at it, I realized he's saying, I'm writing to all of you. I'm writing to every member of this body of believers. But I also understand that there are various levels of spiritual maturity within the body of Christ. Scott told me that the other Sunday, uh, you baptized 12 new believers into the family of God here in the church. That is a wonderful thing. And, and Wyatt every Sunday morning says, hey, if you're a new believer, we've got some resources back here in the back for you. We've got, we, we have a Bible for you and we have some literature here that's going to help you get started in your walk with Jesus. And so we know we've got some new believers here. And at one time we were all new believers and someone came along beside us and mentored us and discipled us. Maybe we were in a small group. Maybe it was a Sunday school class. Maybe it was a good friend who'd walked with Jesus for a while. But there's some new believers here. And so we have those who are learning how to walk with Jesus. We have some little children in the faith. But then we have some folks here that you're growing in your relationship with Christ. You're, you're, it's an exciting thing as you're experiencing God's grace and you're overcoming some things in your life as God's Holy Spirit leads you and and you're growing stronger in the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing to be experiencing spiritual growth in your life. And then there's some of you here, you've walked with Jesus longer than a lot of folks here have been alive. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you know what it is to have faith. You know what it is to overcome. You know what it is to see how God brings you through the various aspects of your life. You've got a lot of experience walking with Jesus. And so there's all kinds of levels of spiritual maturity in the church, but the super glue that holds us all together is the love of Jesus and our love for one another. 
And so when we think about what John is saying here in this session on the social test and the obedience test, we are going to be talking about the importance of loving one another and obeying God's commands. So let's look at a couple of scriptures here. And uh, starting in chapter 2 in verse 7, John says, Beloved. I love that. He is not talking down to his people. As a matter of fact, sometimes he uses a singular and sometimes he uses a plural. Sometimes he says, now this is what I'm saying. And then sometimes he uses the word we. So when John was preaching, he never talked down to his congregation. He said, I am with you in this walk I am with you in this struggle. I am learning to walk with Jesus like you're learning to walk with Jesus. We're in this thing together. But you see these terms of endearment here. Beloved, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you've heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him that is in Jesus and in you because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brothers in darkness until now. But the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of, for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. While we're going, let's go to chapter three, verses one through three. And there, there you'll see John talking again about God's love in our lives. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's turn the page and let's go over to chapter uh, 3, verses 10 through 18, and, and listen to what he says about loving one another. Chapter 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor does the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed and in truth. Now go to chapter 4, verses 7 and following, down through the end of that chapter, 7 through 21. Now, now, in this, now let me pause before we, before we read that and just say this. Do you see how much emphasis John is putting, placing on that we should love one another? This is one of the difficulties in, in teaching through this book is because John says this over and over and over again, which lets us know, man, there was a bad problem in this church. Man, this deal about some folks in there that felt themselves to be spiritually superior because they had some special relationship with God that was really not a special relationship with God at all. This deal was, was causing havoc in the church. It was tearing up this body of believers. And any time that we do not love each other the way that God wants us to, we have the potential for having major problems within the body of Christ. And so in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who, who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. 
By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, that is, brought to maturity. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected in us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears does not, is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, yes, I do, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now, I just said the most important things I'm going to say tonight by reading these scriptures, because that was not me speaking. That was God speaking. And that is what God is saying to us. Now, I have the responsibility of overseeing or working with 30 Southern Baptist churches. And I have been in every one of them. I have been with them through some good times and some bad times. And we have a group of Christian people in Kapai County, Mississippi that I love. And uh, we have some wonderful people there. But you know, we also have some knuckleheads. Do y'all believe that? And we do. And every once in a while, even our preachers are knuckleheads. Do you know preachers can be knuckleheads too? I had a pastor recently who stood up in his pulpit on a Sunday night, and he, this is what he said. He said, you are the sorriest bunch of people I have ever been with in my life. How's that? He said, I mean, I can't preach here anymore. You're the sorriest bunch of people I've ever seen in my life I've ever been around. Looked at his wife and said, honey, get your purse. We're out of here. And he walked out. Next morning, my phone lit up. And they said, Stan, can you come out here and help us with this mess? You know the first thing I did when I got out there? I told those folks how much I loved them and how much God loved them. And I assured them that they were not a sorry bunch of folks. They were people that Jesus died on the cross for. And I told them, I said, okay, this has happened. Let's pray for him and let's love him. Let's don't get out here on the bandwagon and start belittling him for what he's done. He had a bad day. Let's pray for him. Let's find every way we can to encourage him. You know that every Sunday I send him a text and let him know I'm praying for him and encouraging him. He sent me a text Sunday morning in reply, and he says, thank you, Stan, for being such an encourager. Now, I'm not tooting my own horn, and I want you to understand that because I am a very imperfect person. But I do know that what God has called us to do is to love each other and to express that love to one another. Jesus gave us the commandment. John says, I'm giving you an old commandment, yet at the same time, I'm giving you a new commandment. This old commandment is one you've had from the beginning, but it's also a new commandment. And the old commandment was found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in Scripture? He replied by quoting the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he jumped over to Leviticus 19, 18, and he said, and the second one is likened to it, 
You're to love your neighbor as yourself. And he put those two together. And John puts those two together here in 1 John. And when he says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Because when you love God, the love of God is going to overflow into your relationships and the love of Jesus is going to be evident. On the last night when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, he girded himself about with a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. No one else wanted to do it because they had been arguing about who would be the greatest. And no one wanted to wash nasty feet. And so what did Jesus do? He took the basin and the towel and he washed their feet. And I'm sure that they were embarrassed. And I know Peter was embarrassed because when he came to Peter, he says, you're not going to wash my feet. No way. And Jesus said, Peter, I don't wash your feet. You have no part with me. Peter said, if that's the case, then wash me all over. And he said, no, you don't need that. I just wash your feet. And he got through and he said, do you know what I've done for you? I've given you an example. That the greatest among you is going to be the servant. And you need to forget about yourself and let it all be about Jesus and about being God's person. And a little bit later in the, in the conversation, after Judas left, he said this, I'm giving you a new commandment. What was the new commandment Jesus gave? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. By what? By the way you love one another. This is the commandment I give unto you, that you love one another now, a little bit over, that's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. In John 14, 15, he says, and, and he who loves me keeps my commandments. So he says, here's the new commandment, that you love one another, and here is my commandment. The one who loves me will keep my commandments. And how do you know that you know Jesus? I believe the acid test of our relationship with Christ is really found in the way we express love for one another. Now, throughout 1 John, he uses the Greek word agape for love. And the Greek word agape is sacrificial, self-giving love. It is the way that we are to love one another. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about others. And it's a sacrificial, self-giving love. When I was pastor over in Fairhope, one summer I did 16 weddings. I mean, every weekend I had a wedding. I, I got tired of weddings. You know, and they were all, you know, you know, you know, you know there was an itch around the heart you couldn't scratch, all that stuff. And, and I did this wedding. But one of, these, one of these weddings I did, and I was doing all this premarital counseling, and I was doing my best to talk them out of it, okay? So, so I was doing all this premarital counseling, and a young lady came in. Her name was Amy, and she had this guy that she's going to marry. And we were talking. And we were talking about how the wife was to respect her husband and then how the husband was to love his wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I was just being silly. And I said, to the, I said, Amy, I want you to think about something. I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to answer yes or no. She said, okay. I said, if you know that he loves you like Christ loved the church with a self-giving, sacrificial love, would you go to the end of the world with him and, if necessary, jump off with him? She said, I don't know about jumping off. And we laughed. And she said, if I know that he loves me like that, I will be committed to him for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness as in health. I will be totally devoted to him as long as we both shall live till death do us part. That's how she answered. She said, yes. If I know he loves me like that, I'm in. I'm in. Two days later, she called me, and she said, I've called off the wedding. That's amazing. And she said this to me. When you asked me that crazy question, 
said, after I got to thinking about it, I, just, I realized I wouldn't go anywhere and jump off anything with him. <laughs> she made a wise decision. It was a tough decision. I mean, they'd already ordered the invitation. They'd already done all that stuff. They already had it on the church calendar. And she said, no. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, how much did God love us? He went all the way to the cross, didn't he? Jesus died on the cross for us. God raised him up. Jesus did that. He went all the way to the jumping off part, and, and he jumped off. Now, listen to me. This is the way we're supposed to love one another as members of the body of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. It ain't easy. It's not easy. Now, so we define love, but how, how do we express this love to one another? I'm going to give you six things here about how we demonstrate love in our relationships as believers. The first thing is this. We accept God's grace in our lives personally. We accept God's grace in our lives personally because genuine love results in genuine humility. On my best day, when I get everything right, I mean, I don't cuss and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. <laughs> when I get everything right, on my best day, I'm still a sinner saved by the grace of God. There is absolutely no room whatsoever in the church for anybody to feel like they're spiritually superior to anybody else. And if there is that attitude in the body, then we cannot love one another the way that God wants us to love each other. We are all sinners. And we've all been saved by the grace of God. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church was all in turmoil because there were those there who said they were the sukikoi. We are the spiritual ones. And Paul said, you know what? The church is one body, but it's made up of many members. And not all members have the same function, but all have the same importance. The hand can't say because I'm not a foot, I'm not important. The eye can't say because I'm not an ear, I'm not important. And you know the passage that I'm talking about. And what Paul says is this, God put every member in the body just as he desired for the strengthening of the whole. So every member of this body is important. I had a member in my church at Shiloh in Chipley, Florida, who was Down syndrome. His name was Mikey. And Mikey had come to church. And Mikey played golf. I went and played golf with Mikey. We teed off on the first tee. Mine hooked hard to the left. I decided I wouldn't play golf in the summertime because I don't like to walk in the woods in the summertime. <laughs> and after I teed off, Mikey pulled me over to one side and he said, Hey, Brother Stan. They got a driving range over there. You can go and practice. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? But you know what? Mike was a vital part of our congregation. You know why? Because he is always happy. He brought joy into the fellowship. And I'm telling you, God put him in our congregation and he was just as important as the chairman of deacons or the lead pastor. We accept each other, the grace of God. Now, here's the second thing. I love the grace of God, don't you? Don't you love that God accepts you, warts and all? Aren't you glad that God knows everything about you and still loves you? Aren't you? Now, what about this? We express our love by extending God's grace to each other. 
we extend this grace. Now, this is where the kicker comes in. Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.31, he's writing to Christians. Listen to what he says. Be kind to one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Be kind to one another. I'm going to be honest with you. I've heard some Christian people say the, mo the meanest and the most hurtful things to one another that you can imagine. I had a question that was asked me. How can you deal with division or disruption in the church in a positive way without feeling like are coming across as a know-it-all. How can you do that? The answer to that is this. When you have a problem in your church, the first thing you do is you talk to Jesus about it. Folks get to talking to each other about it. The next thing you know, they start feeding on one another. The next thing you know, what's a molehill becomes a mountain. The next thing you know, here you go. Do you know that most pastors leave churches over fewer than eight people? But those eight people are relentless. And they just go on and on and on until finally said, I have had enough of this. Does that honor God? It does not. So the first thing you do is pray. You know, if you got a problem with your brother, you know what Jesus said to do? Go to your brother. Go sit down and talk about it. He says, hey, if that doesn't work, what's the next step? Take two or three others that are trusted. Go sit down and say, hey, let's work this thing out. You know, if that doesn't work, what's the next step? He said, bring it to the church. Let the church hear it. Let the church pray. Let the church. And then he says, you know, if that doesn't work, he says, then treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. What does he mean by that? Treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. I want to tell you something. If you go to that much effort to bring about reconciliation in relationships and the love of Christ to be manifested in the church, if you go there to, uh, individually, you take two or three with you, you bring it to the church, all with the purpose of redemption and reconciliation, not for the purpose of belittlement or embarrassment, but for the purpose of reconciliation. If you go to all those steps with an honest humble heart seeking to honor God and the person is still unrepentant, what Jesus is saying, he doesn't know me. So your job then is to win him to Christ. And every step is redemptive. And so we extend God's grace to each other. And I'm telling you, it is a hard thing to do sometimes to forgive the person who has hurt you. It's a hard thing to do to forgive the person that might have hurt your family, hurt your wife. But you know what? We've got to learn how to love each other and extend God's grace to each other. I want to tell you what, I want to tell you what Satan wants to do at First Baptist Church Wimberley. He wants to mess this place up. That's what he wants to do. And if we give him a toehold, he'll, he'll build a stronghold. So it's very important that we stay in prayer and that we find ways to love one another. I live by the philosophy of this. I like to catch somebody doing something good and let them know how much I appreciate it. So we extend God's grace to each other. What about this? We guard our spiritual influence. We guard our spiritual influence. I don't need, as a believer, I don't need to, to allow anything to come into my life that's going to cause my brother to stumble. Okay? It's part of loving one another that we leave some things out that would cause someone else to stumble. For instance, how would you feel if I came to you with a can of Budweiser in my hand and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, drinking is becoming more and more socially acceptable, but I don't think that it's a good thing. Why? Because I'm against it? No, because I think it hurts our influence. We've got to be different from the world, not to call attention to ourselves, 
but that we might show there's a difference in who we are because we know Christ. Now, let me illustrate what I'm talking about. I am not talking about legalism. And we can reduce our relationship with Christ to a bunch of rules if we want to. And we can say, I'm a good Christian because I don't do this and I don't do that and I do this and I do that. I am not talking about legalism here. Vicki and I were married November the 28th, 1981 at the First Baptist Church of Hazelhurst, Mississippi. My office is in Hazelhurst, Mississippi now. I can go to the courthouse and see Edna Stevens, who's my friend, who is the clerk at the courthouse, and I can go up there and say, Edna, would you get the book out and let me look at where you recorded that Vicki and I are legally married? And she could do that. She'd go get the book. Vicki and I have a marriage license. Somebody said that's a license to fight, but I don't know about that. But, but we have a marriage license. And we are legally married. But we don't have a legalistic relationship. What I mean by that, because I love my wife and because she loves me, there are some things I'm not going to do. And it has nothing to do with we have a marriage license and our names are written down in the courthouse. Because I love her, there are some things I'm not going to do. I'm not going to belittle her. I'm not going to run around on her. I'm not going to do those things. Why? Because we're legally married? No, because I love her. On the other hand, there's some things I'm going to do because I love her. I'm going to be with her in sickness as in health, in sorrow as in joy, in the good times and the bad times. I'm going to be there. Is that because we have a marriage license and uh, our names are written down legally in the courthouse in Hazelhurst, Mississippi? No. It's because I love her. And because we love each other, our relationship is not based on legalism. It's based on love. Listen to me. Because we love the Lord, there's some things we're going to do and there's some things we're not going to do. And it has nothing to do with legalism. It has everything to do with love. And Paul said that to the Corinthians. He said, I'm not going up to those idol temples. I'm not going to go up there and eat that meat offered to idols, not because I have a problem with it personally, but you know what my brother does, and I'm not going to destroy my brother over something like that. Why? Because I love my brother too much. And I want to be a positive influence in my brother's life. So we express our love for one another by guarding our influence. There are various levels of spiritual maturity in this church. And that new believer that's trying to get over the issues in his or her life, and they're struggling and they're trying and they're they're growing and they're grappling and they're trying their best to, to move forward. They need the positive influence of those who are walking with Jesus and a love relationship with him. Don't you do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. And, and John says this. He says, you know, when you, love, when you express love like this, he says, you're not going to cause your, uh, your brother to stumble. And that's how we express love. Now, here's the fourth thing. We do accept the various levels of spiritual maturity in the church. Now, I've hammered on this a little bit. And I'm not going to hammer on this any longer. We're going to have some discussion here in a moment. But we have to accept the fact that not everybody's going to see it the way we do. 
And that's important. Scott, wherever Scott is, Scott, I'm going to tell you something, brother. If I could start over in ministry, knowing what I know now, if I go back there to it, Mississippi, at Spring Hill Baptist Church, and I could start over knowing what I know now, the one thing that I would do different is this. I would learn to trust God's timing and to follow his leadership. A lot of times, I felt like I was right and everybody else was wrong. That I had the word from God. Hey, I'm the preacher. I'm the spiritual leader here. Now I've got the word from God. And you better line up to what I think you ought to do. And you know, I was never so wrong. You know what I found out? When God leads us, he's not the author of confusion. He's not. And you know, a new idea might be presented. And you know, most of us don't like change. Listen, I don't even have any in my pocket. <laughs> change is a hard thing. But you know what I found out? That if God is in it, and we'll give God time to speak to our hearts, and even to disagree with one another, that if we'll give each other time and space to agree to disagree and to continue to love one another, you know what will happen? We'll find ourselves moving together, doing what God wants us to do, and God will be honored and glorified in the process. And what we will say is, yea, God, look what God's done. I think sometimes we get in too big a hurry when we ought to be still and pray, and listen, and listen to each other. Y'all, I am trying to learn how to be a good listener. And that is not easy to do. But we need to learn how to listen to God and listen to what God is saying to us and then come together to do what God wants us to do. We love each other. Every church I know has issues. It's not having issues. It's how we seek to honor the Lord and love each other as we deal with the issues. That makes sense. So I want you to understand that. So we express love for one another this way. All right. The fifth thing is we accept and celebrate the spiritual gifts of others. And I touched on that already. The spiritual gifts of others. We are not in competition. We are in cooperation. And I'm going to tell you something. When my little brother Scott stands up here and sings and he rattles the roof, you know how I feel about that? Man, I'm proud. I'm glad that he's using his gift. When he, he called me and he said... I think he was worrying him a little bit that I was the preacher and he was a singer, but God was calling him to be the preacher and, the, and a singer. He called him to be a pastor. And he called me and he, I think Scott was trying to say, Stan, is it all right with you if God calls me to preach? You're the preacher in the family and you know, is that okay with you if God? I said, Scott, praise God. I knew God called you to preach all along. It's about time you got the full call. <laughs> And you know, you learn, how to, you learn how to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And to be kind to one another and to celebrate the gifts and abilities that God gives you. I'm telling you what, that, that person that's sitting down there taking care of those babies in the nursery is going to have a lot of stars in her crown. I'm going to tell you something. We go down to Fairhope. And we take care of our two grandchildren, a two-year-old and 20-month, one-month-old. And my favorite thing to do is get in my car and go home. <laughs> I'm telling you what, every once in a while, Vicky says, let's move to Fairhope. I say, no way. <laughs> Man, that, 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 those folks that's working with your children, your preschool, I'm going to tell you something. They let you be here. 
and they are important people in your church. Hey, those fellas that are going to go out there tonight to set up those tables for us, they got out here this afternoon, they set up those tables for us. They put garbage cans out there. They put drinks out there. They even special ordered for the ladies tonight celery and carrots. I don't understand that. But they did. And, and somebody prepared every bit of that so that we could enjoy it. Thank God there are folks in the church that take the responsibility to be not in the limelight, but in the place where God put them to serve. I had a fellow come to me one time and say, man, I can't preach, I can't sing, I can't be in the choir, I can't teach Sunday school, I don't know anything, but I know how to landscape. Can I take care of the yard? I said, brother, it's yours. And he did. And man, our place looked immaculate because he was serving the Lord with the gift that God had given to him. What I'm saying is this. Don't you ever feel like you're insignificant. Don't you ever have a personal pan pity party. Don't you ever feel like, well, God can't use me. I'm going to tell you something. God not only will use you, he will use you if you'll put your life at his disposal. We express our love for the Lord, not just in word, but in deed. We express our love for the Lord and for each other, not just in word, but in deed. Now, here's the final thing here. And that is, how do you demonstrate God's love in relationships? You share the gospel. You share the gospel. Do you know that sharing Jesus with someone is the most loving thing you can do? It really is. Because without Christ, a person's doomed. Without Christ, there is eternal death. There is eternal separation from God. And the most loving thing we can do is share the gospel and see others come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And it's about what Scott says, all about Jesus. It's about making Jesus famous in Wimberley. It's about meeting people where they are with the love of Jesus. And it's just what I said the other day. Everywhere you go, share the gospel. In the grocery store line, share the gospel. At the ball game, Share the gospel. Sitting in the doctor's office, waiting on your turn, share the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Look for the opportunities that God gives you and share the gospel. So let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. In the back of your outline, you have a page. And what I did was I decided that I'd go through the New Testament and find all the one another scriptures that are there. Now, I might have missed one or two. I don't know. You can check me. But I went through and I started in John, the Gospel of John with the New Commandment, and I went all the way through 2 John 5, and I wrote down all the one another scriptures. And these scriptures are God's instructions to us. And it's how we're to relate to one another in the church. These were not given to non-Christians. They were given to Christians. And so I thought it might be good for you to have these so that you could read them and you could look at them and learn from them how you can be a believer that loves others the way Christ loves you. Man, just pick some of them out. Let's just pick a couple of them out. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. How about that one? 
Through love serve one another. What about uh, uh, what about Hebrews three twelve and thirteen? Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encouraging one another. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Anybody here need some encouragement? Just goes on and on, doesn't it? Be hospitable to one another. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Well, that's a good one, isn't it? Fellow told me the other day, I said, How you doing? He said, I can't complain. I said, Can I spend the day with you? <laughs> Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Second John five, and now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but one which you've heard from the beginning or had from the beginning that we love one another. You take a look at those. Your quiet time, you take your Bible and sit down with it and think about the evidence of being a believer. There is a theological test, which you believe about Jesus. There's a moral test about how you deal with sin in your life. There's a social test about how you love one another. And there's an obedience test about how you're doing what God asked you to do. First, John's contemporary. And John has spoken to all of us.